That's how you grow your brand and your social media by not saying, how do I grow my social media or brand? Just bring value and maybe the right people will value what you say, value what you do, value what you share. Maybe you can connect with some people and it brings you opportunities. Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast, the podcast that dives into the philosophies, ideas, and practices of some of the best practitioners in high-performance sport. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast was one of those ones that didn't particularly go in the direction that I anticipated. However, it went in a direction that I was so, so happy it did. So in this episode, Vernon Griffith We were going to chat about flexibility, anyone that follows him on social media, we're going to dive into all that stuff, but it kind of touched on that at the start and then went down this very organic chat around coach health, around uh, his time in the military, around his use of therapy and his encouragement for other people to do the same. So it was a, a, a very raw look into how Vernon views the world, which I was so happy it did because sometimes I just need, or we just need a little bit of break from the X's and O's and get a real insight into the person. And that's definitely what we got here with Vernon. So it's a really cool episode coming up that I think you'll get so much from, yes, from an X's and O's point of view, but also from a deep personal point of view as well. So enjoy this episode with Vernon. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by iMeasureU. iMeasureU is used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field. IMU Step from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. iMeasureU have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident which includes ultra-high G capabilities to quantify high-impact steps such as cutting, landing, and sprinting, longer-life battery to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions, and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. iMeasureU, now part of Vicom, works with military, pro, and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, the US Department of Defence and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about iMeasureU, head over to their website imeasureu.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at iMeasureU. And this episode is also sponsored by Hytro. So as practitioners, we're always on the lookout for innovative ways to support athletic development and recovery. One brand that is making an impact in elite sport is Hytro, a wearable BFR training solution that unlocks the incredible benefits of BFR to deliver significant recovery and training advantages. The BFR straps are integrated in shorts and tees, delivering BFR to groups of athletes safely and more conveniently than ever before. Check them out at hytro.com to find out how Hytro BFR can give your athletes a competitive advantage. So without further ado, over to the episode with Vernon Griffith. Vernon Griffith, welcome to the Pace Performance Podcast. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. Thanks for having me on, Rob, man. Pleasure to meet. Pleasure to meet you too, finally. Heard a lot about you from various different people, 
David Joyce been one, and I'm happy to uh, happy to get you on, mate. Hopefully, hopefully all bad things. Hopefully, bad stories. <laughs> <laughs> For anyone that doesn't know who you are, I know you hate talking about yourself, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Would you mind giving them a bit of background, a bit of a bio on you? Might be short, but needs to be done. Oh man, uh, yeah. So uh, obviously, I do not like this part, Rob. Um, I do not. So I guess short. Uh, I'm a curious guy. I love exploring new things. Um, I love music. I love art. Um, I'm a dad of two kids, a husband to a beautiful wife, 17 years. Um, so outside of that, man, coaching is just coaching. That's just, it's just a job. It just fills a void, but, uh, that, that's who I am. I'm going to dive. We're going to have to dive into that, that last comment. Definitely. <laughs> at some point during this uh, during this episode. But how did you get into it? How did you get into coaching? I know it's just a job, but how did you get into it? Uh, so I don't have this great lineage of coaches, man. I grew up scared of the weight room. Um, I yeah. vividly remember avoiding the weight room, faking injuries. And now people that I went to high school with and college, it's like, they're like, what? What do you do? <laughs> what? what? Wait, I, I was the dude that had my foot in a bucket of ice because I faked an ankle injury because I was so intimidated of the weight room. Um, joined the military, uh, started learning a little bit, uh, got really intrigued with it, go, started going to college for it, ended up getting out of the military, finished up college and uh, opening a gym. And that was, I guess that's my route, man. I just, I kind of stumbled upon it. Uh, it was a good point in my life where I think I needed something to focus on and it helped me a lot. It allowed me to help others, so it kind of gave me a path, you know, at the right time. There are plenty of people out there listening. Well, hopefully plenty of people out there listening, but one thing that will resonate, everyone's got, whether you're in a pro setting, collegiate setting, high school, subly, amateur, they've all got a you back when you were feigning injury to avoid the weight room. They've all they've all got that kind of they've all got that guy or girl, haven't they? Yeah. Who doesn't who just doesn't want to be there. So when you get a you when you were younger, how do you make the environment that you coach in as conducive to that the opposite of that as possible? I had a good mentor of mine, uh Ben Hilgert, uh very young years ago, they reached out, a uh, great guy, football coach here, and he said I was working with a high school football team and I couldn't get them to buy into what we were doing or, you know, they didn't care. And I'll never forget when he said, they're not supposed to, they're football players. They're not weightlifters. You have to convince them that what they're doing will help them and then let them have fun doing it. And he was like, outside of that, like, what are you trying to influence? You know? And that, that kind of shaped, I was like, man, that, that is exactly what I needed. I needed a coach that wasn't trying to make me a weightlifter that just was like, Hey man, weightlifting's kind of cool. Try this, try this. And then that one exercise becomes two becomes three. Now I'm working out four or five days a week. That's what I needed. So that's what I think that now my direction is. It's like, be the coach that you needed, be the coach that that 16 year old, that lost 16 year old uh, needed. So that's kind of where, where I lay my emphasis. And the military gave you something like that to coax you into getting in or was that just necessity with the environment that you were in? Uh, military helped me out a lot. I grew up a okay. lot. I was forced into some leadership roles very early on, uh, deployments. You, you learn, you learn quite a bit about yourself. 
uh, when you got some pretty extenuating circumstances going on. And it was just, I think it was just a culmination of everything, you know, where I was at being in charge of troops, uh, understanding that physicality plays a huge role in stress and arousal and being able to make the right decisions. So it, it kind of just, I don't know for what, I don't believe in coincidences. Everything happens for a reason. And for whatever reason, at that moment in time, things just came to fruition the way they did. So apart from the the few, I suppose, tips that you've just given from your the mentor that you, you spoke about, how would you, or could you communicate any tips that you would give to younger coaches to help, again, to help the you at 16, the Vern of 16, to enjoy the weight room and not be intimidated? And how would you explain to that young coach to, to create the environment that that 16-year-old actually wants to be and wants to feel like they can thrive in? Uh, I mean, without getting too cutesy, it's, well, what, you know, a 16-year-old, especially, especially most of the kids, like, they're not going pro. Most of them, you know, if they make it in college, fantastic. But what is the weight room? It instills confidence. It lets them learn who they are. Like, that's, to me, that's where I've shifted my thought. It's, the weight room is a, gl- a great place where kids that are not exceptionally sport driven like sports skill they're not the best most talented baseball or soccer or football player on the team can excel in the weight room so it almost gives them a voice to be a leader amongst their peers within a group that they wouldn't be a leader because they're not the best player on the team so it's almost like what is the point of the weight room to instill confidence obviously to get stronger but if you're confident getting stronger becoming more powerful having more intent behind movements all that stuff comes with it but to me it's to me, it's confidence, especially as teenagers, young female athletes. I mean, that it's confidence. When you look at your social media, particularly your Instagram, one thing that comes across to me is just the exploration been a big part of of what you communicate in terms of the, the, the post that you put out, whether it be the description or the videos. How big a part is that for you? There's exploration, movement exploration come across not only in what you do, but how you coach and how you encourage others to use the weight room? I mean, the word, the exploring thing was a joke. It was all a joke with my guys. And honestly, the word exploring should, the better word that I should use is collaboration because most of the stuff that I share on social media with me doing it, it's what I did on the floor with my guys. And it's like, hey, do you feel this? Where do you feel this? Oh, that's a great movement. And then it becomes, oh, that that's so cool. It's a mobility. Man, I don't care what the word is. I don't care what the exercise, I don't care what we call it, but it's collaboration with my guys on the floor in the moment. And then I go online and record a video and share it later. But it's collaboration between the client and myself. And honestly, it came at uh, it, I need we I needed it. I was at a point. I was running a program with uh, uh, military special operators, and none of them have one injury. For one injury, there's a textbook answer. There's oh, you know, you have an ACL issue, rehab, rotator cuff, blah blah blah. There's a step process that we can do. But when you have two injuries, now there's no more rules. Now now there is no rules. Where do I start? Did one start the other? Are they completely separate? Whatever it is. So now this exploring of movements is just about, hey, what can your body do? 
So now instead of looking at that, that small isolated spot, let's look at a global movement and see how things are affected. Because we do know that, you know, an issue, you know, a pinpoint part of the body can call, cause a cascading ripple effect out somewhere else. You know, a problem in your hip can cause a problem in your shoulder, a problem in your hip, problem in your knee, all that stuff is associated. So when I look at movements and we explore movements, that's where, that's where I, that's where most of that thought is coming from. It's what can my guys do instead of saying, you know, what can they not do instead of looking what they're contraindicated of what they can't do, which is, which is completely normal to have that thought. It's, Hey, what can we do? How can we explore around this? What can we get out of movements and not to get on a rant, but I had a guy one time, um, XEOD guy, Marine, and he had both of his arms blow off, blown off and half of his face. And I'll never forget, he was one of the first, uh, it's definitely amputees that I worked with. And he said he wanted to deadlift. And I remember I looked at him and I chuckled and I was like, what? You want to deadlift? Because I was in the mind frame of why, why would you do that? Why would you want to do that? Why do you need to do that? In the sports world, you'd be like, well, that's so, that's so stupid. That's so risky. Why would I do that? And then I never put myself behind his eyeballs. Why not? Like, why not? Like, why would he not want to do something that he used, that he was used to be, had the capability of doing. And that's where that exploration came from multiple injuries. Why not? Why can't guys do things? And it's back to confidence, instilling confidence in movement that they may have been taken from them. Like I can't do that movement anymore because I'm hurt or I can't do this anymore because I'm injured or I can't do bicep curls because I don't have a forearm. We hooked a band, we hooked bands and cables up to his nub and we did bicep curls because that's what the dude wanted to do. And it's, that's where I think most of those thoughts came from. Just to dive into that a little bit more, when you're dealing with someone, not only with one injury, but two injuries and potentially catastrophic injuries, what's your, what's your thought process to determine what they can and can't do? What's the first place that you would start to try to identify not only, again, what they not what they can't do, but what they can do? Ask questions. Yep. A- ask them where they feel. I think one of the biggest mistakes coaches say is they – tell someone where they should feel something before they allow that athlete or tactical professional, I guess, to, in my line of work, to tell them where they feel something. Oh, you're supposed to feel this in their hamstring. Well, he doesn't have anything below his knee. His He lost above his knee, complete amputated. So his hamstring is tied in a different spot than yours is. So he's going to feel things in different spaces. So now it's it's asking better questions. Hey, man, try this. It's uh, I saw a great reference one time and it was an optometrist that had those though. I don't even know what the machine is called, but it's like you adjust it. Be like, how does this feel? Do something different. How does this feel? How does this feel? How does this feel? And to me, that's, that's where that comes from. It's what can you do? What feels comfortable? What are you comfortable doing? And then how can we make it more efficient possibly? And how can we add output to it? Do you think working with them, that kind of population who have them type of catastrophic injuries helps you with the able-bodied, if that's the right term to use, do you think it helps you with that because it reframes how you think about things? Absolutely. Absolutely. When you cut, when you have guys that are doing with, uh, and I'm not exaggerating, that have double bilateral amputations on their legs and we're doing box jumps off their nubs onto crash pads because they want to be able to do box jumps 
because their best friends are in the CrossFit games. Like it, it totally reframes, reframes how you look at things because it's truly like we just talked about, I guess, five, 10 minutes ago is what matters. What is the, what is really the only thing that matters? And it's getting that person back to a place where they feel confident in their movement, where they're happy, where they can live, uh, uh, you know, as, as much of a successful life as they can, if they, that they can live knowing that that ceiling kind of got brought down on them a little bit with their current state. Would that, would how you think about things change if you were... That's cool. Easy! <laughs> would, would how you think about things change if you were in a collegiate setting or a pro setting of how you create that environment less about... Well, it's more about winning, more about Saturday, getting a result. Would that change how you frame things? Uh, it may have, um, to be honest. I, I I would never get on my high horse and act like that doesn't matter because job security and you having a family and you being worried about ends meet, that all comes into play. And it's very easy for me to say, oh, that doesn't matter and person first and this and that because I get it results matter, especially in sports where you have to win. And that's the only thing that matters. I've seen that side. I work with professional athletes as well. And it's just, I think me being exposed to that such early on in my coaching career biased my thoughts to movement and how we train things versus if I saw it the other way first, you know, maybe I wouldn't be having this thought process. You know, we're, we're a culmination of our experiences and my experiences have been very productive i guess to where i'm at today Mm -hmm. i'd like to get into the family stuff but we'll leave that for a little bit longer but again just looking at your social media maybe something that you're well known for and this came up in the book with david joyce and and dan um high performance training for sports probably something that you've become known for is the mobility flexibility side of things again probably (laughs) rightly or wrongly from what you you guys also you share from a collaboration point of view as you've said uh, online how have you, and I'm pre-answering the question based on what we've just spoken about for the last 15 minutes, but how have you become known for that? And has that been purposeful? Has that been um, something that has kind of just just happened? I mean, it's my foot in the door. Like people say, um, well, I don't want to be known for something. Being known for something gets your foot in the door. Mm. If I'm the mobility guy... I don't care. Whatever. Sure. Call me the mobility guy. Call me the stretching guy. Call me as my daughter's softball team, the guy that rolls around on the ground with no shoes on. I don't care because if that starts the conversation, I can take the conversation where I want to. And that's to me, for whatever reason, mobility kind of took off. People look to me from it. And I like to share that information. I think movement, it's kind of a cliche thing to say movement is medicine. But one of my good friends, Mike Hill, he says that his athletes take their daily vitamin, their daily movement vitamin, like just move daily and how these small movements can lead to such big things, big outcomes. And as a coach, it's like, oh, I got to get them working out. I got to get them lifting. I got to get them squatting, benching. I got to have you could just start with a walk around the block. You could just start with some moving around on the ground and now those five-minute bites, that 10-minute bites becomes a 30-minute bite, becomes a whole session, becomes three sessions a week, and now you're influencing life rather than just trying to prove your point that strength and conditioning is the only way when there are many only ways. Um, So it's uh, mobility is just – it's fun. I like it. I enjoy it. 
Uh, I feel like I, I can speak to it a little bit different based on the people that I've worked with and my experiences. So it, it's, it's fun. It's giving me opportunities, but it's a foot in the door. And that's to me, if that's all it ever is, then that's awesome. If you went, if you work in with general pop, do you work with general population? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Not as much as I used to when I was in college, but still yep. some. If you said mobility and flexibility to them, they probably won't be able to differentiate, differentiate, between the two they probably bundle into one and probably what pops into their mind is static stretching my guess would be how do you differentiate the two if you're communicating that with someone that's not a peer uh so i i look at flexibility is it's just the capable range of motion and that's dependent upon not only the health of the joint but also the health of the tissues surrounding it um and then from there just your psychological standpoint of how you feel around movement you know, if you have some heightened feeling that picking something off the floor is going to give you back pain, then you're going to have less range of motion when you bend down to pick something up just because you're guarding that. So flexibility to me is, I think the textbook definition is a joint ability to move through a range of motion. And then I add on, you know, that's because of the health of the joint, the health of the surrounding tissues and their capabilities. Um, and then there's a coordination rhythm standpoint to doing activities. But then to me, the mobility is that fun word because it's not an exercise word at all. It, we totally took this word and threw yoga mats on it and we were like, mobility. <laughs> like mobility is the ability to move between social classes. Mobility is the ability for an allied army to outflank another on the battlefield. And then the exercise world was like, oh my God, ability translates to the ability to move in Latin. Perfect. Let's make it exercise. Let's exercise this thing. Let's exercise it. And it's to me, that's where this word that I'm trying to influence thought for, I guess, if that's, if that's what I'm doing, it's the, you know, the ability to move, be moved or adapt. And that adaption that takes place is not only from a perceived stimulus, but an unperceived, like jumping up for a rebound, coming down, landing halfway on someone's foot or running down first base and stepping halfway on, a, on first base on the bag. You know, those, those reactionary uh, moments. And to me, that's what mobility is, the ability for the body to organize um, to, towards events to have the best possible outcome. Just linking that point with what we were talking about before of the exploration and, uh, and the phrase that, that you used. Um, how important is it for you to get your guide, the guys and girls that you work with, into positions that then would be deemed potentially unsafe like valgus for instance so avoid it all costs well hold on a second these guys are going to experience this on the court on the field so let's actually put them in these positions in a controlled as we're talking about with the kids controlled contained environment where we can see what's going on so they can actually experience that so when they're on the court or the field they've actually been there before rather than it been avoid at all costs is that something that you would live by yourself or do you have a another kind of theory philosophy on that? No, I mean, absolutely. I, it's, I definitely think you need to meet them on their grounds and watching their practice, watching their film, having them send you film that allows you to create, in my mind, a vernacular of movement. So I can tell one of my football players, hey, I want you to get internal rotation in your hip and I want you to push off your toe and or I can ask him hey on this pass rush 
What are you looking for? And he starts using words like, hey, I got to get on the inside edge. I have to load my hip. I have to turn my shoulders. I have to create torque around my pelvis, my hips. And I'm like, perfect. Let's use those words now when it comes to training. So now when we're doing these exercises in the weight room, it's I'm using his words like, hey, get on the inside of the edge. Remember that pass rush? Remember that position you were having issues with? Now let's think about that here. And it's not sports specific, but to me, it's sports, sport relevant. And that's a good way for you to build trust in the weight room where I'm not going to add a band set up to a guy coming around an edge and hold him and, or hook bands up to an end of a bat and that crazy stuff. I'm not doing that at all. But if I can take something that he did in practice or a game or she and create some relevance of why mobility is important or strength training is important, that's low hanging fruit. Like, why would I not? Why would I not do that? Why would I not create that 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 stable base, that vernacular of training of, hey, these are why these movements are important, and use their words to influence them subconsciously? Of man, I should do this exercise. I do need to inc- improve my hip mobility. I do need to get into these positions because last volleyball match, I found myself in this deep position trying to dig this ball out. Now it makes sense. Now I understand. Uh, rather than just trying to shove them in this box of, hey, we need to squat today. It's like, hey, watch this video. Isn't this, doesn't this look the same? It, I think it helps create trust and it, it, it make, creates that collaborative moment of them like, wow, he's doing this just for me. This is, this is actually a training session for me and my teammates. It's not just bodybuilding.com's eight week program. And if you're sponsored by bodybuilding.com, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Def- definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> just taking that taking my last comment to the extreme like something like knee should never go over your toes when when squatting squatting pattern then you've got someone like knees over toes guy who's taking that obviously flipping that and doing the complete opposite so again would that be something that you would encourage for people to get in those class unsafe positions to whether it be for rehab or just to put them in positions because they're going to experience that in the real world um so when it comes to experience like so if we're talking injuries there are obviously a lot of things that go into injury outside Mm -hmm. of the mechanical component of tissue so when it comes to and and i obviously don't want to talk bad about anyone or what they're doing but for me rule number one is do no harm so Obviously, it's like, man, all these people online can do these crazy splits and they can go put their knees way past their toe and go on the ground. That's great. That's awesome. I can't do that. I can't go into a split. I can't do that. And it's just like trying to teach. So it's empowering, obviously, your athletes as well, that all range of motion is not equal. More range of motion, more range of accountability. And as well, you know, it's just being smart about it, man. Rule number one is do no harm. So if if someone can do that, awesome, great. Can the majority of people do it? No. And to say that's the right end answer, that's the right end goal, I don't know if that's the right answer as well. Um, so I, 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 I don't know. I don't do the extremes. I like the middle. Uh, the middle's comfortable. Um, one of my uh, friends, George Carvalho, said I'd rather be in – I'd rather be a mile short than an inch too far when it comes to my programming. And that's something I, I pretty live, I live by that pretty seriously. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because 
living in the, I mean, you're probably a anomaly when it comes to this with your social media success, but living in the middle and not being an ex, not being the extreme on one end or the other is not pretty normally conducive to not getting the not getting attention, which is why people gravitate towards the edges to get a little bit controversial to to get attention. So living in the middle is is probably becoming more and more unpopular because that's not what gets potentially not what gets as many likes, retweets, comments, and and creates that controversy around around uh, what people share online. I, and I think there's a difference between creating controversy and and sharing things just to get like that notoriety versus what I I feel and I hope that other people feel when I share something, it's to get people thinking. It's to influence thought. When someone asks me, hey, why'd you share that? Or, hey, can I use that? Can I say, absolutely, but but use it towards your population. Make it better. You know, make it specific to what you're doing. Like I, I'm not trying, at no point do I ever share something and be like, this is it. I'm going viral here, baby. This is going to blow up. Like at no point am I thinking that. Honestly, half the time my wife goes, it's like, why do people even take advice from you? You're not even in shape. And I'm like, I know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's just because I'm just a regular dude that's just sharing yeah. what he's doing. And I, I so I don't I don't have advice for what people should do because there are people that share those edges, like you said, and they blow up and they become famous. And it's I don't know. I, you know, I the people that I work with, I'm fortunate enough that that uh, most of the time when I post something, the guys that I work with in the military, they'll DM me and be like, cute shorts, bro. Nice legs. <laughs> you selling feet pics. Like that's the stuff I get. I don't get any sort of positivity reinforced. It's all negative. So I don't have the answer for that. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Vernon. Hope you enjoyed part one. So over in part two, we discuss more along the lines that I didn't expect, along the mental health, coach health, and a deep dive into more about how Vernon views the world. So really cool, interesting part two coming up. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Output Sports. Output Sports is a Swiss army knife for optimizing off-field performance. Output Sports have developed a one-stop portable tool for comprehensive, valid, and reliable athlete assessment. For the first time ever, you can assess metrics such as jump height, barbell velocity, Nordics, and speed and agility, all with a single wearable sensor. Output brings unparalleled efficiency to athlete testing to allow sports organizations, performance centers, teams, and athletes to make data-driven decisions. The technology has originated from eight years of research and co-developed with over 40 sporting partners across the globe. You can learn more about Output on OutputSports.com or follow them on social media at OutputSports where you can schedule a demo. And this episode is also sponsored by Hawking Dynamics. Hawking Dynamics is the world's first wireless force plate testing system. The Hawking Dynamics system is built for coaches to test in the real world, not just in the lab. Capture reliable data on all your athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor their progress in the cloud from anywhere in the world. The Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, portable and trusted by teams at every level of sport. Integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring program has never been easier or more affordable. 
If you want to see the Hawking Dynamics force plate system in action, head over to their website hawkingdynamics.com to schedule a demo or follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. And this episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Fusion Sport. So Smarter Base by Fusion Sport is the leading human performance solution for elite sport, military, government and workplace health. Smarter Base provides organisations with a central hub for the holistic human performance management of their teams. Highly configurable and integrating with other systems and wearables, SmarterBase enables organizations to capture, manage, analyze, report, and share data across the whole organization. When you adopt the SmarterBase human performance platform, you're choosing more than just a product. You're choosing a technology partner and a team of consultants who have worked with some of the world's best, most elite performance organizations. SmarterBase is trusted by the world's best in human performance, including the NBA, the LA Lakers, US Special Operations Command, the Australian Institute of Sport, and US Soccer. Visit fusionsport.com forward slash SmarterBase to learn more about how SmarterBase can help turn your data into a winning advantage. And now back to the interview with Vernon. Yeah, I must, I must admit the feedback that I would give you is yours comes across very genuine. Yours comes across in the middle ground, which is where you say you want to be, but does make, and the comments do make people think. So if that's what you want to be, I think, yeah, you, you, you're nailing it. You're nailing it. Well, that's cool. <laughs> let's go on, let's go on the family stuff. Okay. So the first, one of the first comments you made, coaching is just a job. It's basically all about everything else. Yeah. Is this has this always been the case, or has this been a recent or not recent reframing of how you view who you are and how people perceive Vernon Griffith? Uh man. So uh, definitely, I, I here we go. Here we go, Rob. I guess um, here we go. <laughs> to, to me, I've had some pretty big aha moments in my life. Um, once again, I don't believe in. Uh, coincidences, everything happens for a reason. And uh, one of the first ones when it came to family was I went to a retirement ceremony when I was in the military. And if you've ever been to a retirement ceremony in the military, it's it's a very cool experience. Uh, a lot of very cool sh- stories, war stories, emotional stories, and they always connect the family at the end. And my mentor at the time was one of the best leaders I've ever met um, from all the experiences we had while deployed. While all you know, just all the things that he in, he instilled in me, and how much he helped me, I, I couldn't be more thankful for him. And I looked up to him tremendously. And I'll never forget when he was on the stage, and there people were crying, like the stories were just tremendous. And when it was time for him to talk about his family, he had nothing to say because he was never home because we weren't. And it was eighteen years that were just gone. And, or I guess 20, but his kids, his kids were like in their 16, 17, they were older and he had the most generic things to say about his family. And I just remember going, Oh my God. Like I was sitting there like, what is going on? I'm still getting goosebumps now, now I, now that I can think about it. And when his, you give your kids like a present, he gave his wife flowers, he gave his daughter flowers and he gave his son some sort of, uh, something, I think it was like a video game thing or something. This kid was into gaming or something and they go up on stage and then they talk about their dad. And it was like, oh, he's the best dad. He's so great. He's good dad. And I was just like, I, I, I looked at my wife and I gave her this look. 
And I'll never forget her eyes because after we left that retirement ceremony, I was like, holy shit, he doesn't know his kids at all. He knows me better than he knows his kids. And in that moment, I was like, I got to get out. Like I, my daughter was, I think five or six at the time. And I got out of the military and then I got, that was you done that that was, or I had like a year left, but I was, I was bordering staying in and I was like, no. And I was like, I'm going to go full into this coaching. I'm going to get my degree and I'm going to start my degree and I'm getting out. And I got out and then I got into coaching, opening a business and I found myself doing the same thing. Just you put in coaching is seasonal. I it's I'm fortunate because I'm in the private setting that I can prioritize my time with my family. But I understand my friends that are in professional sports that it is very seasonal. There are times during the year where you're not going to be home. So you have to be at work. You have 12, 14 hour days. I, I understand. But then when you are home, you need to be present. And the best example I can give is you can only put your family on the back burner for so long before that water just boils out and there's nothing left anymore. And I found myself falling into that same boat. So it was paid assistant for me. Uh, my, my, the place that I owned, it wasn't for me. I was spending too much time worrying about work and not about my family. And that, that was a huge, a huge moment between the military and that coaching point where it just totally changed my philosophy on where I was dedicating my time and who I was. Um, and not to get tangity again, Jesus Christ, I hate, but I had someone ask me who I was. That was a big port, part. And it was like, who is Vernon? If someone was to say, who is Rob? What would you say? Who's, who's Rob Pacey? Oh, geez. Um, well, dad, I suppose is the first thing because that's yep. 15 weeks ago. That would be the that would be the number on there. Um, husband, that would probably be two. And then I'd have to mention the podcast. Is that, is that sad? I don't know. Like that's what that's what I do. So I said the same thing. I said, man, yeah. I'm, I'm a father of two. I'm a husband. I'm a coach. And he was like, no, that's not who you are at all. You became a dad. You became a husband. Your coaching is a job. Your podcast is a job. Like, that's not who you are at all. Like, that's who you've become. Who are you? And that sort of thought, that sort of question, it carries so much weight. Because you're like, man, like, who am I? Like, at 16, I used to look up to this person that I was about to become. And now I'm that person. And I don't know who I am. <laughs> like, it, it is... it. it to me that it kind of messed with my head and messed with my mind and made me like rethink where my focus was and that prioritization of now where I spend my time, who's worth my time and my family being more valuable for time and investing time instead of just spending it have been monumental for me. Well, firstly, we'll have to book a therapy session after this, but uh, I think no. we need after <laughs> that's for me, not you. <laughs> Um, but firstly, thank you for given what you've just said. Thank you for giving up an hour of your time because I've seen your daughter walk past the um, walk past the window there behind you. So I appreciate you giving up your time and spending an hour with me. With all that, all that being said, but what did what did you answer to that question of who is Vernon and how has that changed? Now, I would say, I guess I I think it's how I opened up. Like, who am I? I am. I am a curious human being that loves exploring. I love being outside. I love music. I love art. Um, 
I love, I love doing nothing. I think that goes against the coaching world, but I love just being, which I, I don't think many people have the ability to be. And I used to be one of those people, but I can just sit on the porch and just relax. I don't have to do anything. And I think being at that peace with myself, uh, that that's who I am. I'm just, you know, a curious person that loves exploring, loves trying new things. I love food. I love music. Um, that that's, that's, that's who I am first. I think, and please tell me your, your, um, your thoughts on this as well. I think we're at a little bit of a turning point in the strength and conditioning world where people and by people, I mean, coaches who are in positions in elite sport, collegiate sport are starting to think some of the, ask themselves some of the questions that you've just asked me and have asked yourself in the past. And hopefully, and I'm, I'm talking about the UK here, we'll be expecting more from their employers to respect that they are more than just what happens at the club or the organisation. Do you think that's the case over there, or do you think I'm way off? Man, I would love to say things are getting better, but then you see a okay. job posting where you have a master's degree and $17,000 a year. <laughs> Like I, 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 I don't know where that line is. Uh, the people and my friends that I've had, they are prioritizing this and are asking better questions. But if you don't value yourself, how can you expect anyone else to value you? If you don't value your own time, if Jesus, where are these flies, man? If, (laughs) if, if you, if you don't value your own time, how can you expect anyone else to value it for you? And, and that, it's almost like, what is your time worth? Well, if you think your time's worth $5 an hour, why is someone going to pay you more than that? Um, so it, it, I think it's truly reflecting on what you, what you know your worth, know what that is, and know what you're willing to take. Um, I guess another story I had was when I first started coaching and I opened up my business, I was trying to get into the local setting, as most people in a private setting do. And one of my colleagues, I guess he's a high school coach here. He was like, Hey, I'm running a pro camp for, um, some young players that are coming in. And I had a couple NFL guys coming in. He was like, can you come lead the warm up and talk about the importance of strength and conditioning and training? And I was like, dude, I would love to, what weekend is that? And he was, I was like, it's such a great opportunity. He was like, Hey, it's going to be two weekends from now. And I was like, well, my daughter has a softball tournament that weekend. And I was like, but it's local. So I may be able to like, you know, bounce or maybe miss something or whatnot. And he was like, well, how much do you, how much, how much would it cost? How much is your time worth? And that was like maybe four or five years ago, maybe. And I was like, dude, I don't know. Like, you know, like most coaches, like how, well, how do I charge for my time? Like, I, I don't know how much my time's worth, whatever it is. And I've seen coaches say, well, you're not paying for my time. You're paying for my experience, whatever. I don't even know what that means, but I, the way he put it, I'll never forget it. He said, Vernon, I'm not paying for you to be here from 11 to 12. I'm paying you to not be with your family from 11 to 12. And I sat there and I was like, huh. Rate's just gone up. <laughs> well, well I, 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 I'll met, I, that moment, I was like, huh. I kind of sat back because we were sitting down. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to be here Sunday, man. And he was like, great choice. And that was one of those moments that literally has carried me. It's like, man, 
there are opportunities where you do have to take that money, where you do have to stay late, where you do have to work for free, I guess, but understanding at the, at the cost of what and making sure you're not sacrificing the main thing to get this thing on the side. I recently did a survey. I've done quite a few of these surveys, um, predominantly here in the UK with different populations, whether it be uh, people that work in senior uh, football over here in the various different leagues, in academy football, in rugby, et cetera, et cetera. I did an academy football survey. I think you'll be interested in this. 136 people responded, all in strength and conditioning positions or sports science positions in the top four leagues, Premier League, and then the three um, below that. 136 people responded. One of the questions on there was, how many hours a week do you work? Obviously, we had the full spectrum. Yeah, We had the few at 37, which was obviously the contracted. Um, maybe they thought I was going to pass that to their employer because... I'm not sure many people do that. <laughs> then you had then you had 40, 50, 60. We had some people doing 80 hours. And I put regular. What's your regular week? Someone's putting between 70 and 80. Now, another another question that was asked was how old are you? Simple question. And I've got I've just remembered here. I looked at the data today. Two out of 136 people were over the age of 40. Then you look at the first stat that I just gave you, and you're like, obviously, yeah. People just people get a fam. People have a family, and priorities change, and duck out, and like I've had enough of this. This is just not. This is not doable anymore. So it's kill it. The industry is killing itself because it's demanding so much of these people that you're constantly getting this turnover of young professionals. Then you get in. Someone gets to a certain point, has kids, has a family reevaluates and then you're getting a young professional in again so yeah i just thought that was that was kind of fit in with the conversation and was probably cool to share um some of the stats from that because it does play into this this merry-go-round of what we see in our industry i i think the the interesting thing about all of that is i gave the metaphor last week i was talking to one of my friends he came for lunch and we were talking about being valued and he was like, well, coaches get, don't get paid as much because they're not valued. And I was like, incorrect. Coaches are very valued. It's all, but I give the metaphor of, it's almost like you're seeking the approval and the affection of a father that will never love you. And it sounds really bad. It sounds really bad, but that's what it is. It's like, oh, I want to be valued by this team. They're never going to value you because there's a line of people that can do what you're going to do for, for way cheaper. But there are people that do value the tactical population. All these military guys that I've worked with, video game, e-gaming, strength and conditioning is exploding. Is ex They value you so much, but you don't value that opportunity. So it's, it's not just you being valued. It's you chasing being valued from someone that's not going to. So I think the the fault lies on both sides. Just written a, a little note there for myself. I, I'd put something like this, this kind of conversation on Twitter the other week. And a guy that I know who's been a technical coach in, in soccer over here for a number of years, I think he's probably 50-ish years old. So he's been around for a, a while. Got the, the best coaching qualification, technical coaching qualification here in the UK in football. And he responded saying... It's exactly the same in, in coaching, i.e. technical coaching. 
you've got a UEFA A license coach, which is the the best qualification that you can get. And they're getting minimum wage because everyone's caught up. There's this saturation at the top of highly qualified people, which means that they can pay what they want, which is nothing or minimum wage, what they're legally um, should, should be doing. So we think, and we always talk about it because it's our industry and this is who our friends are, this is what we work in and strength and conditioning, our sports performance coaches. But it's actually the same in technical coaches. It's probably the same in all these other things that are linked to sport and just because I'm using that as an example because that's what we're in. So we can't think, oh, this is just us. Everyone hates us. No, this is just replication of what's happening elsewhere. And they're all in the little bubbles and little silos going i think it's only us yeah and it's not only them it's it's everyone it's everyone because every because everyone wants to be in so it lowers the lowers the bar yeah in terms of salaries i agree yeah yeah so what so in terms of one thing i picked up on on the start of this kind of uh second part of the chat was being present how do you and this is something that i struggle with and the listeners will no doubt be thinking yeah I'm the same. How do you ensure that when you are not working, you are present with your kids, with your wife, and with your lovely two dogs? I don't. I don't have an answer, Rob. I'm be. I'm be quite honest, man. That's something I struggle with, and I just prioritizing my time and just being anxious about moments and and emotions and stuff. I I talk to a therapist. And one of the biggest things he gave me was centering myself. So you'll see me, uh, if I have something in my pocket, I have this like key ring that I'll like have in my pocket or I'll just tap my fingers and it helps center me to the moment because that's what being present is. It's, it's actually actively listening. Like my wife tells me all the time, did you hear what I said? Yeah, I heard what you said. I'm, I, I, I wasn't listening at all. I was just listening for two or three words that when you, because I knew you were going to ask me, are you listening? I was just had those three words in my pocket. So when she goes, you didn't even hear anything I said. I said, yeah, yeah. You said something about the cardboard, cardboard box and being out in the driveway. And she was like, well, yeah, you picked out cardboard box and driveway. <laughs> that doesn't mean you were listening. And yeah. it, it, to me, it's, it's one of those things. It's being present in the moment is something that I've worked on a lot, but I think you don't, I guess my epiphany with that is I realized that my moments were leaving. Like I, it's almost like I realized these moments were slipping away because of my kids. Like watching my daughter now, she's turned 16 next year. And it's like, holy shit. Like th- these moments that I haven't been present for are, are, leave, are fleeting and, and they're just going so fast. So that's kind of been, it's almost like my kids have forced me to be present because I want to be present in their lives. So that's, I guess that's where my thought is. And also centering myself in the moment, which I got from my therapist. Do you think seeing a therapist is a lot more, not normal, normalized than it used to be? It is one of the best things that anyone can do. Even if you think you don't need to, you're like, oh, I don't need to. You need to. You need to, you need to, because it's, even if it's just one conversation, even if it's just opening up to someone that's not judging you, that's just listening. I think it, it's so 
important. And I did it early on in my military career when I was having some issues and I stopped because they were trying to push me with medications and I wasn't going to do that. And now being a little bit older, a little bit more mature, when I approach the therapist I have now, I said, hey, man, I'm not sure how this works with clinical psychology. And I was like, but I am not taking anything. I just want someone that's going to listen to me and be an unbiased opinion and tell me what I need to hear when I don't want to hear it. And he's been great for it. And I just think more people, I know it's kind of like a cliche thing and some people run away from it. Like, oh no, mental health, blah, 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 or whatever it is. I don't know what the term is, mental health, mental curiosity, mental agility, social, whatever. I I don't know, but I know having someone that I can talk to and it's scheduled every week. And I can look forward to that time almost like I look forward to going on a date with my wife. Like I look forward to being able to open up to someone that's not going to tell anyone my business. And that to me, it's almost like that bucket that's filling up constantly, constantly, constantly. And that dude, when I pick up that phone, I just turn the spigot open and it just drains. And that's that has been the biggest moment for me. For someone... That's great, by the way. Thank you for sharing that. That's uh, that's superb. For someone that's, how can I put it, done well on social media, in on perception is has got a, a bunch of followers and people listen to what you say and and what and whatnot. How do you see? How do you see social media? How do you see Instagram? What is it? What is it for you? Is it a place where you can just share ideas and it just happens that people have gravitated towards you, your personality, your way of doing things? Or has it been strategic that you want to build a personal brand and you you go about it in certain ways to be able to do that? Uh, to me, social media is just fun, man. I I originally started using Twitter because the football team that I worked with, those kids left to go to college. And instead of sending them all text messages of movements, I would post them on Twitter and then they would see them. Twitter was never supposed to be this thing that got big. Instagram, I, I, so my my guilt, my small guilt to this, Rob, is I actually do have a marketing degree as well. So I do understand, <laughs> I, I have to say it, I have to throw it in there if someone calls me out. I do understand a little bit of consumer behavior because of this. So, but with that, like that wasn't my intentions. It was just to share, just to network, and it's become this thing and when people ask me all the time, well, how do I grow social media? How do I grow my brand? I'm like, by not saying that, 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 <laughs> that, that that's, yeah. that's how you grow your brand and your social media by not saying, how do I grow my social media or brand? Just bring value and maybe the right people will value what you say, value what you do, value what you share. Maybe you can connect with some people and it brings you opportunities, but it's like you you want the finish line, but the finish line, no one wants. Like anyone that's at the finish line is like, this isn't fun. Like all my friends make fun of me because social media, like, oh, Mr. Big Influencer. I got a shirt that says influencer. And my friends think it's hilarious. And I, I absolutely hate it. I come home and there's there's balloons in my house saying I have so many followers now because my wife thinks it's hilarious to make fun of me that I'm just some Instagram thought like half the other people on social media. And it's just like, it's given me opportunities, so I'm thankful. I mean, if it wasn't for social media, we wouldn't be talking right now. If of it course, wasn't, if it wasn't for social media, David Joyce wouldn't know who my name is. I would have never had the opportunity to write in that book. So to me, it is very strategic in that standpoint. 
of like, hey, if I'm trying to influence thought with mobility, which I am, because I'm trying to change the narrative, then I am going to post towards that direction. But like, I, I, I'm not trying to be famous or grow a brand. I, no. Love that. <laughs> I said I'd keep. I said I'd keep you to the hour. And like I say, given what we've spoken about, I want to. Uh, I, I want to make sure I honor that. So thank you very much for giving your time, Vernon. But what, most importantly, where can people follow you and what you're what you're doing? And the book is on Amazon and people can buy that everywhere. So people want to get into the chapter that you, that you wrote, people can grab that. Yep. But where's the best place for people to find you and learn more about you? Uh, on social media, I mean, it's pretty easy to find. There are not many Vernon Griffiths out there, I guess. So, I mean, you just type my name in there. Send me a DM, tag me in something. Uh, you can send me an email. That's in the link. I think my website's up there in my in my link tree and my bio. Um, I do have something new going on now that I just started for law enforcement, uh, fire and rescue, and military. Trying to build this contextual thought of strength and conditioning, as well as meet them where they are. Because I did walk that path, and that's uh, the initiative, and that's something that it will be launching very soon. So anyone that's working in those fields feel free to, to check that out we have a lot of good stuff coming very exciting like i say thank you very much for giving up an hour of your time and um pleasure to speak to you Amen. absolute pleasure thanks speak soon thanks for having me Rob. cheers Venom. thanks for tuning in to episode 376 of the pacey performance podcast so big thanks to vernon for giving up his time and being so open and honest in this episode also, big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, I Measure You, Fusion Sport, Hytro, and Output Sports for sponsoring this episode today. The podcast could not run in its current form without these guys, so I do appreciate their support. So with Christmas just around the corner, just want to wish everybody a happy Christmas, and I look forward to speaking to you in between Christmas and New Year. Have a good one. 